Good morning, Mr. Reimer. Good morning. Welcome to 2018. Thank you. Happy New Year. Yeah, you too. It's my first time seeing your fresh face this year. So, <laughs> <laughs> how how do you feel about that? Um, I feel good. Did I did I tell you that at uh, the Drip office we banned the use of the joke of "see you next year"? Uh, that's that's good. That one's pretty I'm, tired. I'm totally on board with that one. Yeah. Yeah, I like the idea of slowly prohibiting more and more cliched jokes and phrases. Yeah, me too. I think uh, creativity is required if you're going to crack a joke like that. So, yeah, I'm into that. So happy Thursday! It is um, snow apocalypsing here in Boston. Is it? It's just yeah. it's not snowing a whole lot here, but it is oppressively cold, like Ooh, below yeah. zero most days. So, mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, we've we had some serious cold, although not quite below zero. We got down to like three or something. Yep. It was funny. Yesterday was twenty five. Was the high? And there's nothing like a few days of like four degrees to make 25 feel balmy. Yeah, yeah. I had a similar experience, although it wasn't quite 25. It was 14. Like when it when it finally got from negative five up to 14, I was like, geez, this feels great out here. So it's funny how it's also relative. I'm only going to wear one coat today. Yeah, right. <laughs> I love it when it first gets cold. And then like after a few weeks or whatever, it's kind of like, all right, I'm less into this now. But today is our first like really big snow, which I still actually find exciting. I'm kind of looking forward to, to venturing out in the, the Arctic vortex. Mm-hmm. Yeah. If it's going to be this cold, I wish we had more snow on the ground. We have almost none. And and then it like it gets warm and then it refreezes over and then it kind of turns icy and it's not fun anymore and it gets slippery. So, yeah. Yeah. So I'm, I'm watching the snow fall behind your, your pretty face. Nice. My <laughs> monitor's in front of a window. Very cool. Does does yeah. it being cold and and snowy outside make you feel like more inclined to go heads down and work on stuff, or is it like it actually, actually kind of does? When I woke up, it made me want to update my computer, hmm. like my software. Yeah, because you're like, I'm going to be here a while. <laughs> yeah, I'm just going to do all those like little annoying to dos that I don't usually get to, and yeah, because this is a good excuse because the world is slightly different. Yep, when it's warm and sunny outside, you just kind of have a natural pull to go out there but this is kind of the opposite so <laughs> yeah it's pretty decent timing because i also have some stuff to do for like upcoming code quality challenge which is starting next week so there's work to do before we dive into that uh have you done more thought on your fitness goal from last time yeah so goal update is um so i had i had specific homework this is a goal update yeah we need new segment we need a little like intro music to that so i know i had some homework specifically to to investigate like what is my fat loss goal and i don't have that done yet however i did schedule i'm getting my bod pod assessment today so that's going to give me my baseline and then i'm going to maybe like based on my metrics then do some investigation and and assess because at this point all i have is weight and bmi which are like terrible heuristics for this type of stuff you know things may be better than i expect they may be worse than i expect i really don't know because i know that my weight has increased since my last physical but i i'm certain that i have some more muscle because of yoga and just different you know being active here so so we'll see i'm going to assess after that but i'm pretty proud of myself because i've been focusing on first of all just trying to build the get back in the habit of regular exercise and 
I think after our discussion last time and just talking to friends and stuff, like there's merit in just building the habit, regardless of what results you're trying to achieve, because the habit is going to, once it's in place, that's going to be required to achieve whatever goals you have, right? So I've been trying to, and I have a good streak going of doing um, about 15 minutes a day of exercise and using the Nike Training Club app. And it's nice because they have varying degrees of like beginner workouts at 10 minutes and not super strenuous. So if there's a day where I really just don't feel like exercising, I can at least do one of those. Um, And oftentimes after doing one, I'm like, you know what, now that I did that, I actually don't feel like I exercise that much. So I'm going to do another one or I'm just going to do some additional like stuff just to get my heart rate up. So, so that's been working well. I had like a five day streak um, going right after we recorded the podcast. Then I got sick. <laughs> so that always seems to happen to me. Like right when I get motivated to get back and exercise, something happens like catching a cold where I kind of am forced to take time off and rest. So I took four days and then thankfully got over the cold fast. It wasn't that bad and and then got right back into it. So so I'm on an, I'm on another five day, six day streak right now. I don't know if I'm going to state that as a goal of like exercise daily, because I know daily goals are hard, but I'm going to attempt to keep doing that. And if I do it for long enough and establish the habit, then that might become one of my baseline goals is just do something every day. Okay, cool. Yeah. So so next week you should have bod pod results and then also probably like a numeric. Yep. Like fat loss goal. Yeah, I think I'd like to cool. let's let's say that I'll I'll have that homework done by next time. Okay. Sounds good. <laughs> um I have a recommendation for the bod pod by the way. Write down all of your variables. So like what you wear, what time of day you did it, like what time you went to bed, what you like the last the time of your last meal. It's a very sensitive test and so there are a lot of things that can affect it. Like if you drank a lot the night before uh, you, and you're dehydrated the next morning when you get the test or like if you fast for eight hours versus 14 hours, you want to make sure you're doing the, like the exact same test next time. Okay. Yeah, that makes sense. I needed to actually, I need to review the, the recommendations that they emailed me a day ago or whatever. But what, how long do you typically fast before you do yours? I schedule mine for like 10 in the morning. And so I'll eat my last meal at like seven, usually the night before. They recommend you don't eat or drink before like with, I think it's like four hours before the test or something like that. But I just go a whole night basically. So like I have my last food and water in the evening and then I I wake up and I don't eat or drink anything, which is hard because I'm a water drinking machine. Yeah, me too. Oh man. Okay. So I probably should have scheduled it for the morning. I scheduled it. I was like, I don't have time during the day, but I'll just do it at six, six o'clock in the evening. So this will be interesting. <laughs> uh, yeah. I mean that, that will work. I think you'll just have to, to cut off your intake yeah. and you won't have like a, a night's sleep to do it. Yeah. Okay. All right. I'll try not to be cranky all day on like no food. <laughs> yeah. I, for, I forget what their window is. I don't think it's that long. Like you don't need like a 12 hour fast or anything like that. Okay. Yeah, that's good. Um, but I would but definitely look into that and, and then make sure you do this the right length and do yep. it the same way next time, whatever you do. Yep. Yep. Okay. Good. Cool. Yeah, I'm excited cool. to get that. I, I've never done one of those before, but mm-hmm. yeah, I'm I'm excited to see those see the numbers in their full glory. Yeah, it's <laughs> it's cool. It'll be it'll probably be humbling. It has been for me in the past, but uh it's good to know where you're at. I, I always do it even when it's painful, you know, it's like okay, I know this one's gonna be bad, but I I just wanna know how bad. Like, let's see. 
And then I have like a little uh, Google Doc where I've tracked it. I've been doing them for a few years now. So I have like a, a line graph. And it's like, okay, over the last X years, am I trending up, trending down? So it's it's interesting. It's good to have that data. Yeah. I feel like that's a good motivator too. Like if you if things that are measured get managed, that's kind of like a mantra, right, from MBA school. But like I feel like having that is just another motivator. If you can look back and you're like, well, I don't want this line to go create in the wrong direction. So you know, it's just just another one of those things to to nudge you towards keeping up. Totally, yeah. So, um, in business news, uh, Code Quality Challenge launches next Monday. It's Thursday Woo-hoo. now, and nice. I met nine hundred signups so far. Wow! Congrats. Which is pretty cool. Yeah, thanks. It's uh, that's up fifty percent over last time. Last time was about six hundred, I think, when I launched. Yeah. Uh, so that's pretty cool. And I'm also, I'm going to be sending out a video today or like a video slash email today, um, welcoming people. And also one of the things I will encourage them to do is invite a coworker or a friend to kind of like as an accountability buddy. So I wouldn't be surprised if the, this next cohort has about a thousand people in it by Monday. Wow. That's nice. Yeah. Which would be pretty cool. Yeah. I'm looking forward to this one because so much of the content is already done. I feel like mostly just like, oh, I get to run this interesting thing with a bunch of interesting people. And hopefully have positive impact on their professional lives. And uh, it's not going to be a huge amount of work this time. Yeah. You're built, starting to build up a little bit of a flywheel here where you're not, you're not a content producing machine, but you're getting to, to reuse, which is, which is really great. <laughs> yeah. That's cool. Did you figure out, um, by the way, what to do with the old the people in the previous cohort? And what are you doing with the content in the discourse forum from that? Yeah. So I had a call with Josh. And he... Uh, he gave me some specific recommendations, which I have written down and since forgotten. Uh, but basically, <laughs> I'm going to more or less um, lock down the previous topics from new posts. So um, they'll still be there so people can peruse them, which makes sense because there's good info in there. But you won't accidentally post in the wrong old topic. And they will also naturally fall off the front page as new things are posted. So they won't really be like clogging up the, the front mm-hmm. page of the forum. That makes sense. Yeah. So it's still the same same forum, like all the new cohort is coming into the same one. So they could technically go back and look at older threads yes. or okay, yes. got it. Yep. And I'm going to move everyone that was in the first, I'm going to, I'm going to flare everyone that was in the inaugural cohort, give them like a little badge. So if you want to strut your stuff, you can put it on your suspenders. Um. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. There will be separate groups. So you'll always be part of like the inaugural cohort group if you were in the first one. And then I'll have a second group for the second people. And that'll just let me do, you know, bulk assignments when when needed. Mm-hmm. That's cool. I've decided I'm not going to let anyone in late this time. Mm-hmm. Um, I sent out an email to my list the other day and was like, you should join this if you're interested. But please don't email me if you miss the deadline. Because I got a lot of those. And I had people ask to join and then not participate. Like people asked, asked to join late. And so it's like, eh, I feel like if you can't make the deadline, like just wait, I'm going to, I'll do it again, most likely. So you can get in later. And I feel like if you're, if you're not starting off on the right track, like there's a very strong bias or something that if people miss a day or two, they feel like they've, they're off track. And so they stop. And I feel like coming in late just is like, you're starting with that. I'm trying to convince people to not do that, like hopefully, but I know it's it's just a strong, like cognitive bias or something against it. Um, and so like beginning with that is just, it's kind of hopeless, I think. Yeah. It's kind of probably a self-selecting group. The people who are showing up late to starting it, they're kind of like free users of a SaaS app where they're going to be <laughs> the most troublesome and have the most difficulty 
you know, because they're already, like you said, starting off on the wrong foot. So I think it's a good call. Plus, I just I like not having to evaluate each one. Like I'm hopefully heading off those emails. Just be like, just just please don't even try. And if I do get them, it's just like I've already decided that I don't need to rethink about this decision. It's already it's already no. Uh, before I was kind of doing case by case a little bit, and it's just like it's adding mental stress. Yeah, I think it's a good call. But yeah, speaking of accountability, and I'm always thinking about how eventually do I make some income from this effort. I've been thinking about a a couple different things. One, as you're saying that, like one is sort of just like a like a low fee that just kind of encourages accountability. I wonder if I could increase people's participation and thus have them get better results by adding a bar that they have to jump over to get into it so that now I have a cognitive bias that's working in my favor, which is like, well, I paid for this. I don't want to waste the money. Is that some cost fallacy? I don't know. Yeah, arguably, you're, you would be exploiting that fallacy for people's benefit. And you've done that to yourself before, right? Where you've, you've like said you're going to pay your friend if you don't reach this goal, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, so, and it's, that's just like a conscious exploitation of these uh, inherent fallacies that we have as humans, which is not terrible when used properly. You know, and that's the thing is like it, it doesn't actually make much difference to me if people go through the course or not, or like how many they do. It's, it doesn't really impact my life that much, but like I want it for them. Like I want people to have a good experience and get value from it. But you have to actually do the work, and so like you can see, somebody sent me like someone graphed the number of forum responses per day, and it has sort of a fairly steady downslope, which is what you would expect. I'm thinking of sort of my my meta goal maybe for this course is how do I improve that slope each time? Or like, what's an experiment I can run each time that will hopefully improve that slope? Yep. We kind of riffed before on like the gamification opportunities of like giving people badges for, for making it past a certain point or something like that, you know, and I don't know, I don't know if there's any kind of check-in mechanism you can have where like people are self- verifying that yes i did this you know go log in and check a box or something i don't know if there's something like that i mean there's definitely a lot of stuff to try in there for sure yeah yeah i am doing so i i signed up for a thing i bought a thing uh and that possibly has some interesting ideas that i can steal so it's this course from this company called precision nutrition and it's sort of like a it's a it's a year-long course where you get a coach um and you do it with a cohort and the idea is that you get your nutrition dialed in. And so maybe you want weight loss and maybe you want weight gain. Uh, but they like recommend diet changes as well as workout changes. There are interesting things there. So like one I like is that it's like a long-term thing. So they keep so it just started and they keep stressing the idea of like this is a year-long course. We add habits really slowly. Everyone's fired up now, but change doesn't really work by getting really fired up and working really hard for a short period of time. It's more like adding sustainable habits over a long period. And you have a coach. So like the coach has something like 10 or 12 students or participants. And like the idea is the coach checks in with you and makes sure you're doing the habits and answers questions and things like that. And it's expensive. It's like a thousand bucks for the year. So there's there's a number of variables that are pretty different from what I'm doing. But I think there are interesting things to steal from it. My goal is to sort of pay attention to what seems to work for me and what are the what are the good things that I can... Uh, kind of pull out and, and, and roll into my thing. And like, I feel like there is a certain aspect of like a lot of the recommendations you have in this code quality challenge are probably things that people should be doing at a regular, on a regular basis. Like when you had one about to do comments in your code base and like those, it's great if you make a sweep through and do that 
on day 15 of the challenge, but she should probably do that 30 days from now again and, you know, stay on top of it. So there's a certain aspect of like, do this now and also try to build the habit. And I know like it's hard to build habits in 30 days, so I don't know what that would look like, but, but I don't know. I think there's an aspect of habituation in there too. That Yeah. One thing it's kind of making me think about is, is there a longer second course kind of thing? Where like the 30 days is kind of like the intro, do lay some really good groundwork, but then a slower pace, longer term thing, like you said, where it's like, okay, does someone actually remind you of 30 days from now to check off or to do comments? So it's like, okay, after the 30 day push, there's actually six months of additional stuff, but only once a week will you, you know, get a task to do. I like the idea of graduating from the, in, the this thing to a longer term thing. And maybe that becomes like a more supported paid course kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Something like mm-hmm. that. That's where it could be. I mean, it's more of a community. Like at that point, if you've if you've been engaged with your cohort, then maybe you have a group of people that you enjoy talking to about maintaining code bases. And so then the people who make it past and they're they're engaged, they're in it for the long haul. Now you have essentially a community that's been built and people that like to discuss with each other. And again, I'll stress again, I'm glad you're using Discourse and not Slack, because anytime I've been in one of these like Slack communities, it's a total it's chaotic. So yeah, and then and maybe like there's a, a price of admission for staying in the community long term or for whatever content you drip out after that. I don't know. I think there's some opportunities there to explore. Yeah, I think so too. But I don't know. I, I'm, I'm liking that I have like a free offering that is actually is very useful and valuable. Like the, the feedback I got after the first one was really positive. So I think it's cool that like e- either way, there's a good thing out in the world and people are getting value from it. And hopefully having a good impression of me. And so eventually, maybe I figure out a paid thing. But there's uh, there's good to be had already. Yeah, that's good. And I think that having your audience and continuing to build your exposure with different groups outside of, even outside the bounds of the Ruby community is only going to serve you well in the future for whatever you want to do. And I would like to achieve something similar. And I know this podcast is one step towards doing that, you know, putting putting out knowledge into the world for free. But I think there's... I would love to do more of that this year. That's kind of a macro goal and I haven't I haven't defined it as like a smaller more you know measurable goal but like I admire the work you're doing on this and I think it's I would like to do something similar where I'm building people who know me and people who I know building the network and yeah. By the way, I admire the work you do too. Drip oh, is thanks. like a ridiculously good piece of software. <laughs> have you been using it uh lately for for stuff i've been using it lately yeah and it's just there's just so much crappy software out there yeah on average the things i interact with mostly kind of suck it's hard and takes effort and taste to build good stuff and you built a good one and it's like it's even you've improved the world in that way oh thanks that's good to hear i mean it, it gets more it, like it's interesting being in this stage of drip now where it is essentially a legacy code base just due to its age and how long we've been working on it and how many people have touched it and it is always a challenge to, like, I can now see why a lot of software gets crappy over time because you get locked into your legacy. It gets harder to change over time. And it's it's been an interesting experience just watching how, like, how much more difficult in some ways it is to keep shipping features fast. And I think we've, we've, we're continuing to, like, find ways to do it. But it's always, uh, like, what got you here won't get you to the next stage. So it's, it's always fun trying to reevaluate like 
what can we do to make to keep this thing maintainable and and nimble and be able to keep innovating and have you removed any features uh we've removed a few yeah a lot of times there's reports we've had different types of reports in the app before that have just slowed down um over time and like one of them we built for a customer who's probably not even still a, a drip user today and there's like very little evidence that anyone's actually using it and it was going to cost us like a month worth of dev time to make it fast again. So we just pulled that out. There's a few others that have gradually been not fully removed, but sort of like tucked away into a part of the app that they're unlikely to get noticed by new users. So like usage will decline over time gradually and we'll probably eventually remove them. I think that's something that's really important to do is to, if you, if you don't fully remove it, like reshuffle things around so that um, you're kind of guiding users along the path that you want them to take. And that has served us well. Yeah. I don't know how you can keep software good if all you do is add features to it. Yeah. Every time we're building a new thing, one exercise that Rob and I always do is look like, where is where's the navigation for this actually going to go? And we've been very adamant about like not growing the number of top level nav items in the app. So it's like, and sometimes it's like, well, this really warrants its own area. Do we really want to do that right now? Or is that, or is this like, should this be a smaller scoped feature that is tucked away under some existing construct? And it's kind of, it's like navigation driven development. It's kind of interesting to think about like, because then you see apps that, that just continue to balloon in size and eventually they go to like different modules. So you now you have like two levels of scoping of on your top level nav. And that's usually a sign that things are getting bloated. Um, mm-hmm. So, yeah. yeah. I have this fantasy of like release notes for the applications I use where it's like the release, no- the release notes come out or the update notes or whatever. And it says, we added absolutely nothing, but everything is faster. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like, that's like my fantasy release notes for, for most things I use. Yep. Um, or like we removed a bunch of features that no one's using and now like future development will go much faster than it has been. Yeah, I know. But I feel like that stuff is, is hard to do. It seems like... F- most people just think like, how do we add more faster to this mm-hmm. thing? Mm-hmm. I admired the gutsy moves that Basecamp took when they just decided to deliberately start releasing new, like rewriting Basecamp and releasing new versions of it. That's like the nuclear route of like, if you have so many people relying on this, this, this set of features and you want to mutate in a significant way, then, you know, you can't exactly just like pull out a bunch of core features. So if you really need to do a big shift, then they've just decided, all right, we're just going to cut a new version. That would not work for an app like Drip where it's so large. And it's just a different matter of scale, I think, in terms of complexity of the system and, and all that. But it's fascinating to think about how like you can do that in smaller ways without rewriting the entire application. It's something we've been thinking about with like um, workflows in particular. Um, this is still like early thinking, but... Right now, we're giving people a lot of power tools, you know, like workflows are essentially a programming language in a drag and drop type of format. You know, there's a lot of users out there who are thinking more in terms of objectives, like what do I want to accomplish? And we have a lot of educational materials and content about like, well, here's how you can implement cart abandonment with the workflow. And, you know, so we tell you what boxes to put where and how to configure delays and all this stuff. But like, what if for the for the non-power user, they could just log in and only type something into the two input fields that really matter and we'll build the rest of that for them. You know, so it's kind of like a wizard for building um, workflows. It's kind of like the the Ruby on top of C. 
that could something like that could certainly make it into drip um, as we continue building out. And, and it's interesting to think that like you can serve both. Well, like we're, we're building the foundations, the power user tools, and then we kind of layer on top of it, more user-friendly things for, for the less sophisticated user. And, you know, if you really know what you're doing, you can drop into hard mode, go into assembler and uh, go crazy with it. But if you're just a, a typical user who, doesn't want to worry about that then there's an interface for you too Mm -hmm. that's cool yeah i mean if you can pull off pull that off that's that's pretty awesome yeah it's challenging it'll be challenging to do for sure because having multiple paths of doing things is is, can be tricky but i think that's what needs to happen with an app of this complex level of complexity you touched on something earlier which is you were saying you admired that i was expanding my audience outside the ruby world that's definitely intentional because I don't think I'm going to be in the Ruby world that much longer. Is this kind of the feeling I have? I wish I had more background on this, but somebody did a survey at RailsConf or like around RailsConf about why people were leaving Ruby. We should try to link that up. I wouldn't say there's an exodus or anything, but I think Ruby has for sure lost that early adopter status. And people that are interested in pushing the envelope and latest and greatest and whatnot are, are creeping away, it feels like. Yeah, I continue to get that sense. And it was actually interesting. I listened to a um, DHH interview recently. He was on Ruby Rogues. They were more directly asking him now, like, what do you think about Elixir and Phoenix? Like, they're, they're obviously, like, becoming real competitors to Rails. You know, there's a lot of people choosing that over Rails. And it was interesting to hear David's thoughts on it. I mean, he's... He's ever the pragmatist when it comes to like the trade-off between just using a language like Ruby versus hiring, well, paying for more servers versus more engineers, right? That's always the argument for Ruby. It's like it's cheaper just to throw more hardware at it because, and and to overcome the performance flaws with Ruby, than it is to pay for more engineers. And I I totally understand that argument, and it makes a lot of sense. But I've seen how when things do actually get to higher degrees of scale, like Drip have it would certainly be nice to be in a more performance-friendly language. And for me, like if I decide in the future to build something where I don't want to have a large team or just want to just want to keep a really small hosting cost, then it is intriguing to think like, just to watch how, how quickly we had to scale up our fleet of servers to support Drip even early on because of Ruby's inherent performance issues and to see the What's kind of Ruby? benchmarks. My impression was that was like more like database for you. Well, yeah, it was both. It was both for sure. Like database definitely bit us first. But when it came down to like, okay, we actually need to render a bunch of emails really fast. And we need to do a lot of parallel work. The threading limitations of Ruby, maybe if we'd gone to JRuby, it would have been better. But, you know, yeah, I think those those things like we have severe limitations. We've scaled up to fleets of hundreds of servers to achieve the kind of throughput we want today. But we never would have been able to afford that at a smaller scale, so we were always limited to what we could do. You're running hundreds of servers right now? That's that's crazy. Yes, hundreds of servers. Like, <laughs> like not wrong, but just like, that kind of blows my mind. Yeah, yeah. And it's, wow. I mean, that was a fascinating thing to watch um, our platform team, you know, figure out how to get there. And this was ahead of Black Friday. You know, we would add another 50 servers and some other bottleneck would be introduced like the database would start to fall over and be like okay what do we need to do we need to introduce a network load balancer here and scale out a fleet of read replicas okay what's the next thing to break oh now our redis server is like struggling under the weight of all these servers talking to it what do we need to do there and on and on and on 
definitely wasn't like a log into AWS, increment a number up to 500, and boom, now we're done. It was a crazy amount of work involved in just being able to get there, but but now we now we can, and it's freaking expensive. <laughs> you know, <laughs> yeah, I, I and not anything you'd be able to do at a at a much smaller scale. And so I think there's I don't know. I think there's something to be said for having a language like Elixir, for example, that is just so much more performant. If you're someone who's trying to build something at a at a smaller scale, if you're bootstrapped, for example, then I think there's a lot of benefits to having that type of language. I find myself asking myself, as you say that, how common is that? The likelihood of reaching Drip's scale or even close to it is probably so small. Like your your experience is is colored by the fact that it happened to you. So you're like, oh well, like if you're choosing a language, you have to know if it's going to scale to you know millions of requests per hour or whatever. But my guess is that almost nobody gets to where you are or even close to it. No, that's certainly true. Yeah, yeah. and that's so, and so that's that's a reason to say like go with what you know and use Ruby because yeah. you're probably not going to get there anyways. Right. You know, but. Why go with Ruby? Well, okay, because it's like good at the first couple months. It's nice at prototyping. Rails gives you a lot for free. If there's a language that's perf- or, and framework that's performant and has a lot of those Rails benefits, why wouldn't you just start with that? So I think that's that's a, a decent argument for the Elixir world. Yeah, and that, that's that's where I'm at with it too. It's like anything that I use outside of Ruby has to meet a certain threshold of usability and community and does it have a good ecosystem? Is the tooling good? And I think... For me, Elixir and Phoenix have like definitely met that bar of of being good enough, having a, a healthy ecosystem and all that. So, I mean, it's obviously not quite as mature. Ruby has millions of gems out there. You know, Elixir has probably an order of magnitude fewer. But I think it's still, I think it's it's there for me for what I would need it for. And so then. And the things you have to do to make Ruby really fast, like to get the similar types of benchmarking, is usually a lot of caching. Just the way you the way you construct apps in Ruby is fine and and it works okay, but it's definitely less of a of, of a pure approach in my opinion. If you're just having to have cash upon cash upon cash to get fast page load times, totally. I mean, it's so much nicer to not need to do that if you just have performance already. Like caching is the thing you reach for when you have to, but it's it's got overhead. Like it's not it's not free by any means. Yeah. So I I had a coffee with someone in the fintech space, just financial technology, you know, making stuff for financial organizations. Like nothing important or big there. <laughs> just the yeah, financial yeah. industry. No, there's no, <laughs> there's no opportunity in there. I asked her if she could connect me with anybody that was doing Haskell in that world. And she's like, oh, yeah, yeah, totally. There's this guy. He's like, he talks about this a lot. Uh, he's like sort of an evangelist for Haskell because it is so good at um, parallelizing work. And so it works really well when you have a ton of data, which often shows up in financial stuff, especially if you're doing like hedge fundy, quantitative analysis type stuff. Uh, and he's, he's all about it. And Haskell, like the, the parallelization is not quite free, but close uh, because of immutable data and um, pure functions and all that. So I'm interested in talking to this person, but it's, it's, it's interesting how that technical choice like that can be a really good fit for certain things and, uh, make a big difference in your ability to compete. There are certain problem spaces where Ruby would just be a non-starter, and probably for for any kind of like low-level system that's having to deal with stock trades on the order of microseconds or milliseconds, like I I kind of doubt that stock Ruby yeah. would get you there. You know, of course, yeah. 
for better or worse, like the Ruby community is is led by DHH and Basecamp, and Basecamp is a very nice, well built standard CRUD application that doesn't have the type of demands that a lot of different problem spaces need. And so, even to be in like fintech at a small scale, like there's an example of like even small scale Ruby wouldn't work necessarily. So like. It's like it's just never safe to assume that like Ruby's good for everything, you know. Oh yeah, definitely. We used to say a thoughtbot like Rails is great if you basically want to build Basecamp. Like it's it's optimized for building Basecamp every few years. Like whatever DHH wants to put in the next version is like what shows up in Rails. And so if you're building something that looks like Basecamp, which a lot of people are, it's a really good choice. But if it doesn't look like that, then maybe don't reach for that. Right. Exactly. Uh, we're at thirty eight minutes. Anything else you want to cover? No, I think I, I have some notes that we can just push off to uh, to next episode. So okay, cool. Yeah, that sounds good. Sweet. Well, uh, I'll talk to you next time. All right. See you then. Good luck with the cold. Bundle up. <laughs> oh, thank you. I will. All right. If you'd like to access the show notes for this episode, you can go to artofproductpodcast.com. Thanks for listening. Thank you. Oh, I meant to ask. I meant to put in a question to the listeners, which is, do they like the postludes? Oh, yeah. Yeah. I don't know. Because so far on Twitter, it seems like yes. But yeah, it does. I actually want to check our stats right now because I'm curious if... Oh, we, yeah. You, you were the... saying that you were wondering if people might down... like might We might get less engagement from longer episodes. Yeah. And so let's look. And then it's so like when not going to be perfect because this? when was our first? Um, Let's see. Good question. It's not going to be perfect because I don't know like if holiday season impacts people's podcast downloading patterns. Yeah, that's true. It looks like November thirtieth. I think was the first time we did this because that was an hour long episode. Yeah, yeah, I think so. And the next one was forty eight. Well, yeah, we've been doing like wow, we've been around. Th- 20 to th- between 24 and 35 minutes looks like and then we went mm-hmm. to an hour and then 48 minutes 51 okay yeah so let's say like starting with episode 25 we were got longer um number 25 fine. has 4200 downloads yeah the one before it had 4100 so yeah i don't know it doesn't look actually and so like 19 through 22 were all under 4k the long ones have been, yeah, up at that or over. So, yeah, <clears throat> I don't know. Seems okay to me. Yeah, seems fine. Not enough evidence to suggest that it's having a negative impact. So, yeah, at least on downloads. So, yeah, if 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 you're listening to this, if you're listening to the postlude, and you like or right. don't like the postlude, let us know. Please, I'm curious. Please let us know. Yeah, I do think we shouldn't try to like force a postlude if we're not. If there's nothing to say, we should just be like, all right, goodbye. Yeah, totally. But totally. sometimes it's nice to chat about other stuff. Yep. I do have one note that um, I'll just go ahead and share now because it's just a small one. But I, uh, so I rebranded scalingsass.com to DerekRimer.com. Oh, excellent. <laughs> so I think there's, there's like a few motivations behind That's that. Nice. We've kind of, we've talked about them before, but like, um, first of all is like, I want to be able to feel free to write about whatever I want to. And when yeah. it's under the brand of scaling SaaS and I'm like, well, this really doesn't have anything to do with SaaS or scaling. So 
kind of not the best place to put it, right? So I'm like, well, yep. should I just be posting things on Medium then? And then I'm like, I don't really want to be splitting up my central hub of content. Um, if I am going to mm-hmm. write anything and it's not even that often, mm-hmm. then it should probably all go in one place. Um, mm-hmm. So there was that. The other thing is just like, I am, even though I am in a role that is definitely related to scaling a SaaS product, like my passion lies with the creative aspect of building product and not the scaling side of it. So it feels dishonest to be like, I'm the scaling SaaS guy when really I'm like, yeah, scaling is a thing that must occur at a certain size, but I will leave that to my technical experts to spearhead while (laughs) I continue to focus on creative product stuff. So uh, yeah. This This site looks nice. Thanks. Yeah. Yeah. I just well done. really just swapped out what like, was in the header and gave it a little I uh, like your your signature as the logo. That's kind of cool. Yeah. That's classy. I've like pictured that in my head for a long time of like if I had a if I had a personal site, this is how I'm gonna do it. And mm, nice. so I finally got to realize that. Yeah. Uh, <clears throat> when you, you were talking about something you mentioned the podcast at one point and I was thinking, I, I wanted to say to you, I, I meant to say like, remember when you weren't going to do the podcast? <laughs> yeah, I know. And here we are like many episodes later. When did we start? We started giant robots was like August of last. No, it wasn't last year. It was the year before, huh? I think so. Uh, yeah. I don't know. I feel like we did maybe a year of giant robots somewhere in there. Yeah. That sound about right. Maybe not quite a year. Yeah, it was like August through and then whenever you left, which was what, May or something? Was it? Something like that. I don't know. I'm so bad at the time. Oh, here we go. <laughs> yeah. Uh, um, ben Welcome's co-host, Derek Reimer, September 6th, 2016. Okay. Yep. So it's been a year and change. Wow. Yeah. But I got time you. Flies. you. tried to evade me. Time flies when you're having fun. Yeah. Um, what do you think about podcast goals? I think we should maybe think of some podcast goals too. Hmm. I have a little one. Yeah. What do you have? Uh, let's get a designer to design us some art. Hmm. Yeah. Good idea. Just, just punch it up a little bit. Yep. I like that. I would like, I think it'd be good to have listenership growth goals, but I don't know mm-hmm. what it takes to get there. We should probably brainstorm that, I guess. Like, how do yeah. you actually grow listenership? It's <laughs> a good question. Um, I think guests are not a bad idea. Yeah. Leveraging like other somebody people's else's networks. Come on, that kind of, yeah. And then guesting on other podcasts, also not a bad idea. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yep. Th- those both could be so, good. Do you think we should do oh, like we crossed a go ahead. Okay. Uh, we Dude, crossed a hundred thousand downloads, which is nice for Woo-hoo. art of product. Yeah, that's very nice. Mm-hmm. Um, do you think we should ha- shoot for like one guest a month? That's not a bad idea. I was yeah. thinking that, like, ha- set a number of guest appearances that we want per year, kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Be good. Yeah. Wow, that's interesting. Yeah, I've been meaning yeah. to have um, Phil Dirksen come on as a guest. You know Phil? Mm-mm. From he's so he was uh, 
longtime buddy of mine and Rob's back from Fresno. Um, mm. We kind of did mastermind with him for years and he, re- he has uh, WordPress plugins and he quit his job a few years back and has given like an attendee talk at microconf before. Um, he has the WP simple pay uh, plugin. Oh, sure. Yeah. Uh, I know that one. Yeah. And yeah, he's just still kicking, continuing to grow cool. his business. So I think you have some interesting insights for people who are, yeah, and it's nice that he's not in the SaaS realm. So it's a little different than what I've been focusing on, you know, and still like, yeah, that'd be cool. Independent and doing well. So I'd like I'm to have it. him on. Let's do it. Yeah. Yeah. There's, there's part of me that's not honestly that motivated by uh, listenership growth mm-hmm. goals yeah. you know yeah like actually we, we seem to be trending up which is nice mm-hmm. um, if it were like trending down that would be i would that would be demoralizing but yeah i'm not sure if i care if it's like four thousand or six thousand or eight thousand per episode that much yeah yeah i don't think so either like it's not it's certainly not the most important thing um it is like my only channel right now for mm. growing an audience, I guess, which is, yeah. but I, I don't think I, I don't think I want it to be my only channel. Um, it's just, I need to find, I need to find some other, some other thing in addition to this that like helps me grow an email list, for example, like I, mm-hmm. someone who writes email, uh, email sending software, I do not have a great email list of my own and I'd like mm-hmm. to change that. We all know the power of having yeah. a, having a mailing list. So yeah, that makes sense. Need some channels. Yeah. yeah. So anyways, I'm just noodling on that for this year and gotcha. I should actually probably sense. put Although, out a call to action. Like people who listen to this podcast, you need to be on my email list and then I need to provide yeah. value through that channel too. Like I need to be probably a little more self-promotional maybe. <laughs> <laughs> Pro- probably a little bit. Although man, what do you do when like, I, I don't have an answer to this. Like I have a personal you know, like newsletter thing yeah. uh, and I write on it, you know, rarely, maybe every two months right. or so. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's tricky. I feel like I honestly need to be doing more useful things to share with people in a way. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like if you're doing, if you're shipping good projects and have interesting things to say, it should sort of fairly naturally turn into that kind of thing. Useful content, yeah. I guess, but yeah, I don't know. Yeah, I hear you. I mean, I think a lot of the stuff we talk about on this podcast that comes out could also end up being in writing and shared through that medium. You know, we just, yeah, we just kind of come up with stuff on the fly that like naturally strikes us as we're, as we're talking. What? So I, I've been thinking about that actually, about having these transcribed. Hmm. Do people read transcribed podcast episodes or is like, like a, like show summaries more useful? It's like, I don't know. I, I have read podcast transcriptions before or transcription transcripts, uh, before. Um, I know it gives you a heck of a lot more Google juice. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Like each one looks like a meaty blog post about stuff ish mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. um and i think there are lots of people that just don't like audio as a medium which i get because it's yeah comparatively slow yeah um i think like if if we are at least sort of interested in growing listeners i would think that trying transcripts is not a bad idea 
Mm-hmm. And even if it's not a full transcript, but maybe like a fa- like a a somewhat edited transcript kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Like it's not every single word, but it's a lot of the words and it's there's some headings and topics and it's broken down and maybe reordered because like natural conversation is kind of all over the place. Yeah, so if it was start with a rough transcription and then massage it into something a little bit more presentable. I could see yep. that being a, a useful growth channel for us, I guess. Yeah, that could be interesting. That's another thing. I guess I want to put out a call to action. Like uh, people who listen to this podcast, are you interested in that? Like, would you like to consume it in that medium? Well, it's funny because like these, that's almost the worst. You're like, <laughs> that's almost the worst per- people to ask. Yeah, that's true. That's true. It's like no one listening <laughs> to they're already listening. an hour of audio. <laughs> I suspect. I mean, some people might be like, yes, please. I've hated listening to you all this time. I would much <laughs> rather have read this. But yeah. it's hard to get a, you know, unbiased sample here. <laughs> That's true. I feel like it might yeah. just be worth, like, let's pay for it and let's try it for a handful and see, like, our growth, like, listener numbers trending up. Do those episodes seem to get more listens than others? That kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. I'd be, I'd be willing to thing, try the that. The thing I like is, presumably, if you spend enough money, you can get transcription without, uh, you know, needing to... I don't want to go in there and have to edit a transcript after the fact. Yeah, yeah. Um, but if we could get somebody good... I think even um, Podcast Motor offers transcription. Like, I think that's just the next level I of bet the they do. Yeah. ...plan, as far as I know. Yep. We can just hop into that. Okay. So, I think I'd be... I'm into trying that. Yeah. Let's let's try it. Okay. I'll make a note. All right. Cool. So, uh, yeah. Why don't you invite uh, your friend on okay. as a guest? Yeah. And I will reach out to P Motor about transcription. And what do you think? I was thinking maybe of reaching out to Steve Shoger about the art cover art. Yeah. Okay. I'm game. Yep. Cool. I'll do that. Sweet. And uh, we'll see. We'll see how this goes. Awesome. Good action items. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I'm excited to talk to this Haskell person. Yeah. I'm interested I was t- to talking hear to this fintech person. I got intro to, and she was like, "So do you know what you're interested in?" And I was like, "And I was like, I don't know if you've ever heard of this, but there's this language called Haskell." It's like, "Oh yeah, Haskell. You got to talk to Mike." And I was like, "Oh, nice." <laughs> wow, that's cool. I did. Yeah, I never yeah. would have. I, I don't feel like I know. I, um, I feel like it's still a pretty obscure language, so I just don't know what where it's actually being used. Um, yeah, yeah, and I think this actually is one of its niches. Like I, I remember watching a talk. Who knows? It might even be the same guy. Um, I think I've watched at least a couple talks of people that were using it in in fintech because mm-hmm. yeah, it's cool. you know crazy fast and can process lots of data in parallel, and it's sort of it's got a it's got a good application there. Yeah. I know that the um, the Elm compiler is written in Haskell, right? And um, yeah, I think that's true. Yeah, and we were we were just setting up CI for um, our email builder tool that's mm-hmm. written in Elm, and mm-hmm. I think the CI needs to be able to compile the Elm code, so it's like running Haskell on Circle CI servers. And they ran into an issue where like Haskell was asking the core os like how many cores do you have and it was like reporting the wrong number and so it was like trying to parallelize too heavily and completely like tanking the server <laughs> hmm. interesting so it's nice that yeah. it is trying to parallelize though yeah i think that's kind of where the native like haskell 
paralyzation stuff. When you were talking about that, that's what that made me think of is like, it's, it's good at like inspecting the system, seeing how much, how many, how many resources can it use and then utilizing them. <laughs> yeah, totally. Which is, which is huge when you get a bunch of cores. Yeah, totally. I think this is kind of the case in um, closure as well. Cause it has a lot of the same characteristics, but <clears throat> mm-hmm. people, I, I like seeing posts of people reporting that like, you actually can just like, okay, you have map, you've written map somewhere and you find out that this part is slow. And so you change map to PMAP uh, and mm-hmm. it works and it's faster. Hmm. And just PMAP being just parallel map. It's just like, all right, just split this work up. And it's just like, all right, no further work required. Also, it's faster. Oh, so I love that. Enjoy. <laughs> That's pretty cool. That is awesome. By the way, we need to uh, Elm pair again. Oh, yeah. I'm into that. You game? I'm game. Um, oh, uh, yeah. Maybe a couple weekends from now. I'm moving soon, and then I have yeah. stuff going on. Maybe like the twentieth. Okay, let me see. Saturday the twentieth. Yeah, let's yeah. tentatively put that down. I'm leaving for um, Mexico the next day. This is my ah, first so my first trip down to Mexico. <laughs> cool. Escaping the cold. Just for, yeah. Yeah. That, cool. Do you speak any Spanish? Uh, no. <laughs> I really should um, have growing up in Central Valley of California. Like, um, I would have been smart to take that in high school, but I didn't. So you, I find if you go somewhere, if you just learn 20 phrases, you have a much better time. I, yeah. for me personally. I think it's so nice yeah. to be able to like say please and thank you and like where's the bathroom and like good morning and goodbye. If you just have like a small handful, it's just fe- yeah. you just feel much. I don't know. I feel more integrated and I also feel like less of an American jerk. Or it's yeah. like I just assume everyone speaks English. Right. Like if you can at least right. greet somebody in Spanish and then be like, sorry, I don't speak any more Spanish, but yeah, uh, I think it's nice. at least put in Duolingo. a little bit of effort. <laughs> yeah. yeah, Duolingo would probably be a good thing for that, just to get you like okay. a couple basic phrases. Yeah, I think it's I worth doing. Do that. I find yeah. I enjoy the travels more. Mm-hmm. That makes sense. Um, I have a cool thing that I might be doing. Oh yeah. So, have you followed SpaceX at all? Yes. SpaceX. So I know they keep launching around, stuff. <laughs> yeah, they do keep launching stuff, and they're actually about to launch for the first time Falcon Heavy. Mm. So, like Falcon, the Falcon Nine rocket is what they have been. Uh, launching everything with so far and mm-hmm. it's a giant freaking rocket um mm-hmm. and it launches payloads into space uh mm-hmm. they are about to launch falcon heavy which is they took three of those and bolted them together and it launches <laughs> way heavier stuff into space nice um, and so that's happening for the first time around the 14th or 15th of january mm-hmm. um mm-hmm. and a friend of, i was talking to a friend of mine and he's like yeah i'm driving down to florida to watch it and i was like that sounds amazing. And so nice. I think I'm going to go, I think I'm going to fly down uh, and yep. watch it as well. Awesome. Uh, because so there's three uh, rockets on a Falcon Heavy. Um, mm-hmm. And so you, if, if the, the way it's going to work is you watch the first, wa- watch the rocket launch, which I think is, will be amazing. I've actually never seen a rocket launch. I, I suspect it will be mm-hmm. great. Um, mm-hmm. and, and it's the first time ever, so it may, it may blow up, which would be kind of fun to watch too. <laughs> Hopefully it <laughs> right. doesn't. Um, yep. but, uh, if all goes well, the thing will launch and then 
the two side rockets, two side boosters, I guess they're called, um, which are full Falcon 9 rockets, um, come back to the same pad and land there. Really? Yes. Don't they usually, uh, like, historically, they would just, like, kind of fall back and land in the ocean 100 right and that is yeah. actually like spacex's innovation i mean there's been a bunch yeah. of them but that's their biggest one to date is that they don't drop stuff into the ocean and just be like oh well that's broken now and right. it comes back <laughs> and lands so like that's what the, is happening with the first stage of the falcon 9 rocket um uh, is that it comes back and lands after it launches the the second stage into orbit um mm-hmm. and this one has three of those and two of wow. them come back and land uh right at the same pad that it launched from or nearby near enough that you can see it i guess yeah so wow. like getting to watch the launch and then hopefully like a double simul. i guess i don't know if it happens simultaneously or not but like two things mm-hmm. coming back and landing upright uh, just sounds amazing <laughs> that does sound amazing Man. yeah have, have your camera phone out <laughs> <laughs> i thought about that and i was like e- there's this is gonna be like the most videoed thing around, that's true so actually don't probably just watch it just, just experience just it, it and it. i'll look up a video online <laughs> exactly yeah. i'm like yeah I'll, i won't be able to post my own video on facebook but that's all right yeah people will survive nice yeah that sounds really fun so i uh, i don't know if i'm gonna i have i have some conflicts around that so like depending on and like it's also unknown when the actual launch will happen mm. so they like they have a static fire of the engine coming up, um, mm-hmm. which is where I guess they or, or of the, maybe the whole thing where they basically turn it on and but don't go anywhere. I think is what that is. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and if that right. goes well, then like okay, we're good to go. Uh, now we pick a launch date, but that's based on weather and other things. Yeah. Um, so I, I'm kind of just hoping that I can kind of wait until the last minute and like okay, launch yep. is scheduled for Monday at three, and just book a plane ticket for Sunday evening or something, and fly yeah. out and, and and go watch this thing. And book no, and I'm only going to book one way because it could be that Monday rolls around and there's a problem or the weather or whatever, and they're like, okay, actually, we're going to try for Tuesday or Thursday or whatever. Right. But right. Bring my laptop and be ready to, you know, do stuff. There and, you go. Uh, try to catch this thing. This is going to be That's historic. Cool. Yeah. It's the most powerful cool, rocket in the world in terms of thrust by a factor of two. Really. Yep. So That's this insane. thing is huge and insanely powerful. Yeah cool man i'm yeah. i'm excited to hear about that yeah yeah so that's that all right you want to wrap it well, up yeah i should probably get back to work sounds good i'm gonna go do some stuff i'm gonna go play in the snow a little bit yeah do it all right. <laughs> build snow have a good week i'll talk to you uh next week all right see you man all right take care Bye. bye